0: Coverage continues now with the fantastic Laura Coates, the amazing Allison Camerata. <laughs> Laura Coates, Allison Camerata. Coates and Camerata, how are you guys doing?
1: We're doing well, nice. fabulous, Jake Tapper. We appreciate the toss, um, and we've been watching your show all fascinating, particularly all of this never before seen footage. Um, Jake, thank you. Thanks, guys. OK, so we've got more of our special live coverage of the January 6th committee hearing and this never before seen documentary footage. Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerota.
2: And I'm Laura Coates. And this is CNN Tonight. And you're right. Bombshell is actually the word for it. The committee, it saved its best surprise for last and they voted to subpoena the former president, Donald Trump, which I have to say, that is kind of saving the best for last. But is there already a spoiler alert that he's not going to show up?
1: Well, I mean, I think that they might have some recourse, but we'll ask our legal experts about that. But that was definitely a finale that they planned. But I thought that that footage was riveting
2: and appalling. Oh, yeah. And I could have watched it for hours. I watched it and I thought to myself, what a contrast between, remember last time we heard about what Donald Trump was doing and what Mark Meadows was doing? I mean, picture it. It's like almost Golden Girls. Picture it, you know, the January 6th. You've got Mark Meadows scrolling on his cell phone you got the President of the United States not doing anything. You've got Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Chuck Schumer. I mean, everyone who was in leadership gathered around calling everyone in this phone tree. I yeah. thought that was so unbelievable to see.
1: And I also thought they were stunningly composed and collected. Oh, yeah. I mean, really remarkable to see the their calm versus the sort of medieval bloodthirsty mob, the juxtaposition of those two things.
2: And we saw one of the officers. Remember the officer who got so much credit as he should have for playing a decoy and steering them away. Yeah. When you saw the angle from the vantage point of what he was up against in that moment, and a lot of it we had seen some part before, but when you saw what he was up against and the trying to keep them all safe, I just could not believe. I mean, in fact, let's look at some of what we're talking about right here. It's unbelievable.
3: They have, okay, well, D.C. has requested the National Guard and it's been denied by DOD. I'd like to know a good goddamn reason why it's been denied. Apologize for being so. No,
4: don't apologize.
3: Please move, it's, it, the whole Capitol is rampaged. There's a picture of someone sitting in this chair of the Senate. We've all been evacuated, there's been shots fired. We need a full National Guard component now.
5: Was it denied at the first?
3: Okay. Then I won't take you. Get. We need them fast. We've all had. To, I've never seen anything like this. We're like a third world country here. We had to run and evacuate the capital. Four hundred congressmen, two hundred senators, and all the staff. Okay. We need help right away.
1: Okay, let's bring in our panel. We have Elliot Williams, Olivia Troy, and David Urban with us tonight. We have so many questions for you guys. Um, Elliot, I'll just start with you. Legally, what's changed now that we've seen all of this?
6: Uh, You know, not a lot's changed legally. Look, to paraphrase Taylor Swift here... We are never, ever, ever seeing the testimony of Donald Trump before the January 6th committee. Now, look, it was a powerful <laughs> statement. It is Congress saying that they're going to issue a subpoena to a former president of the United States, but they're not going to get him to show up. Number one, the clock. They just don't have a ton well, of what's time. What's their
1: recourse? What can, what, how can they yeah. enforce a subpoena okay. if he doesn't comply?
6: Number one, they can sue him. They, we can file a contempt resolution and vote on it. Right. And then send it to the Justice Department. Justice Department can charge him with contempt of Congress. Now, the question is, that's going to be a legal fight. Whether you like Donald Trump or not, he's going to challenge it. He has a right to challenge it. He's actually got a little bit of a basis for it yeah. as a former president of the United States. And, but, you know, yeah.
2: bureaucracy, as you know, oh, yeah. the bureaucracy is not just in Congress where right? you get the red tape but just think of how long it took for Bannon. When Bannon was referred for the criminal contempt, right? I think it was like October, one date, November, a grand jury, a trial in July. I mean, that's not the time we're looking at right and now. And there's
6: one more big thing to remember. You still have to give him an opportunity to not comply with the subpoena. Right now, they've just voted on it. And look, you know he's not going to comply How long with the subpoena. Does he have? Well, you have to see what he does. And so does he write a nasty letter saying I'm never never, ever, ever going to come in? Does he does he simply just just blow them off? So at a minimum you got to give him at least a couple days or weeks to see how it plays out. Well, we've never
2: seen Trump done. ignore a subpoena or not hand over documents. Yeah, but you can't. I mean, we, We've never seen this even recently out of Florida, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the reason they probably fast-tracked, don't you think? To go
6: from request to boom. Rather curiously, you know, yes, no, we, we haven't seen that kind of behavior before, but the problem is you can't <laughs> charge him with a crime now for this until he misbehaves now. Now, you know he's going to do it. We, we can assume he's going to do it, but you got to wait for that to happen before yeah. you sue him.
1: I want to get back to this Super compelling video yeah. that we've never seen before because there were so many stunning moments. I mean, just jaw-dropping. And one of them was seeing all of the top lawmakers in the country together in one circle, Republicans, Democrats, everybody from Scalise to Nancy Pelosi to McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy all there talking to the Secretary of Defense about what to do. So let me play this moment.
3: hell of a hurry, you understand? You, uh, got your clear later. This cannot be just we're waiting for so and so. We need them there now. Whoever you got.
5: Just pretend for a moment it was the Pentagon, or the White House, or some other entity that was under siege. You can logistically get people there as you make the plan. And you have your some leadership of the National Guard there. They have not been given the authority to activate.
2: On that point, I mean, the pretend it's the Pentagon or the White House. Right. I mean, you had a government building under siege. Imagine if it was that. What would have happened? That, that's the question everyone goes back to, why this was so striking. And in your background, you already know
7: that it would have been activated. They would have had a plan in motion, and they still would have sent people right away, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is what—it has bothered me from day one, actually, when I woke up the morning of January 6th and saw— No fencing, no layout, with all of the threats online. And today was confirmation when all of that information was coming from the Secret Service where they were sending these messages. They were fully aware of the threat landscape that was out there on social media. They were fully aware the Deputy Secretary of Defense was sending messages saying they could occupy the Capitol. They could do this. They could do that. Everyone was aware of this. And yet you have the leadership of the country on the phone real time begging for help basically. Why? What I mean asking. we're going
1: to talk to Congressman Adam Schiff yeah. coming up about this. Well, but a why failure. didn't they So it was a secret service? No, no,
4: no. This is this is look, this is this Ooh. was it, it, and and there are far more people who are far more experts than I but the FBI had, had this information which they passed on to the Secret Service. That goes across chat boards, the Metropolitan Police Department, the US Capitol Police, the Secret Service. I mean everybody in DC knew this was coming, right? And so the Capitol Police there should be. This should have been a part of the January six hearings. Why weren't we better prepared for but this? Olivia,
7: right? I mean, you are an expert in homeland security. Why weren't they better prepared? So here's the thing: it was not an intelligence failure, right? The intelligence was all there. All the tells were there. It was a failure to act upon the intelligence. But but, but so why weren't the Capitol Police the prepared? Well, you know, I think that might be part of the report as well. I mean, obviously,
2: no. we talk about a report. You know, it's a television medium that they're using. They intentionally are trying to use that because they wanted to get as many people as possible. They even pushed back, as you recall, the hearing from Hurricane Ian to get as many eyes and focus and priorities to prioritize this. So we'll hear about those details, and they are having an oversight function. But, I mean, just take a step back and just think about what we were seeing. Now, one of the people we mentioned was the commander-in-chief. I mean, you had people out there, and they kept saying these words at the instigation of the president of the United States. And I kept thinking... Was Secret Service, are they implying they were also against the officers? If they knew the information and didn't do anything about it, did they want to see this happen, and why would that be?
4: Now, listen, I don't think the Secret Service failed, as, as Olivia is saying. I don't think it was a failure of intelligence. I think it was a failure of planning, right? They, they, they're calling Chris Mil- Christopher Miller secretary of defense. It's not like he's sitting at the Pentagon with soldiers in uniform. And, and by the way, soldiers, they, they're prepared to fight wars, not to do policing actions, right? The National Guard has that role, right? And so there's a failure on many places here. I think, listen, that tape is just absolutely mind-boggling. This January 6th committee, if they'd have just played that and sat back and not said anything— I think that has served him yeah, very well. I wonder well. why they really were it just talking about. It's really, think
6: that would
1: have been more effective? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, much more I powerful.
6: think so. What do you think? Oh, in, in terms of not having witnesses. No, or? and we
1: just playing. I mean, what well, we're all talking all 40 about minutes, all forty minutes plus, all hour, whatever. It's just we have.
6: hard to know what resonates with people. Now, to some extent, um, you know, what we're like you said, Laura, what we're building toward is a big report that lays out the facts of the day. Now, look, it, you know, you know, and getting back to your point, David, I just feel like we in America. W- woke up prior January sixth. We woke up, on frankly, September tenth, twenty eleven, just assuming that things can't happen in the United States of America. And I actually think those intelligence—not intelligence failures, but sort of planning failures—stem from the fact that we just simply did not think this kind of thing could happen, and did not think that people would actually storm the Capitol and rubbing feces on the walls, and you know, and all of the these salacious facts that have come out. And I think part of that is our—I think our sense of safety um, that we sort of baked into us as Americans um, that got broken that day.
1: I also basically. just want i just wanted to talk about one human moment that the tapes reveal. And yeah. it is, once again, left and right, Democrats and Republicans trying to figure Get out together. how to survive and how they're going to keep democracy right. intact. And this is the moment where Speaker Pelosi is talking to Vice President Pence, and she's yeah. saying, are you OK? It's yeah. a shared moment of humanity. Are you safe? Are you OK? Be careful. So Don't tell just, me where you are. Yeah. yeah. Let's play that.
8: we
5: the phone. Hi, Mr. Vice President. Hi. Yeah, we're okay. We're here with Mr. Schumer, Mr. McConnell, the leadership, House and Senate. And uh, how are you? Oh, my goodness. Where are you? God bless you. But are you in a very safe place? Well, that we're still not safe enough for us to go back. We're being told it could take days to clear the Capitol and that we should be moving everyone here to get the job done. Uh, we're at which has facilities for the House and the Senate to meet. We'd rather go to the Capitol and do it there, but it doesn't seem to be safe. We've gotten a very bad report about the conditions of young of um, house floor with defecation and all that kind of thing. Okay, and that calls back. Okay. I worry about you being in that Capitol, though. Uh-huh. Don't let anybody know where you are.
1: There's so much there, yeah. Laura. Yeah. There's, there's no so much, th- much there. I worry right. about you. God bless you. I'm going to eat a Slim Jim and, while we I'm talk. Say, I mean, like, Mike, yes, Mike, we, Mike Pence is still
4: in the garage. Time. He was still He's the, the He's, still He's, worried, He's still there. I mean, it's,
1: there's so much I in left. that moment, Olivia. And, of course, you know um, Vice President Pence very well. And the fact that they're having this human moment while everything yeah. is going to hell.
7: Yeah, and they're calm. And, and what I saw there was leadership. Mm, yeah. I saw two leaders talking to each other in a moment of crisis, supporting each other Sending the right messages to each other, checking on each other, and saying, it was kind of, we're going to get through this. Are you okay? It didn't matter. Politics in that moment did not matter. That is the way it should be. That is the kind of crisis that I've seen with leaders and cabinet members that I've worked with, where in that moment, it is really about how do we get through this together? Whereas Donald Trump was checked out and cheering these people on. I mean, oh, that was yeah. just so striking. Uh, you uh, should
2: uh, mention, of course, though, how we got this footage. I mean, it's important. I mean, the, the person, why we had this inside perspective is because it was captured by the daughter of Nancy Pelosi, who's an, a well-known documentarian. Yeah, oh, she yeah. happened, Alexandra, she happened to be there trying to capture the moment that we expect to have a, a peaceful, peaceful transfer, transfer of power. Of power. And then it turned... And she—that's why we have it right here. It's unbelievable. And, and I wish yeah, I'd spliced do. a little bit
4: more the like the Mike Pence side of it in, yeah. right? Because you—you—you you, you know, Mike Pence had to evacuate. He was the Secret Service are very concerned about him. And and you saw from this footage, and, and it was in part of this, but yeah. you know, he's down there and he calls back to Pelosi and says, "Hey, listen, I've talked to the Sergeant at Arms. I've yes, talked and to everybody. We're play that. I do. We're, and that's we've got this cleared. Moment. I mean, that he he, he kind agree. of takes charge, right? Yeah. And, and you're asking where was the president? Well, Mike Pence was kind of yeah. acting as a president in yeah. that Absolutely, right there. We're going to play
1: that yeah, moment absolutely. right after, right after the break. break. So, everybody, stick around. We have much more to talk about. We also want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this never before seen January 6th video? And, of course, anything else you want to say to Laura and me, you can tweet us at Allison Camerata and at the Laura Cook. Well, not anything. Okay, not I mean, obviously, keep no it clean, people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll be right back. You know, it's amazing to see these new videos. I mean, really, it is. Thinking about what it was actually like for the Democrats, for the Republicans, who are working together, I might add, to keep the government functioning, to actually perform the role that they were supposed to play on that day while an attack was playing out on the Capitol against law enforcement. I mean, they were trying to prevent this peaceful, peaceful Transition of power, as we come to know here in the United States. And who did nothing to stop them in these videos? And through the presentation of evidence, the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief. We've got Elliot Williams, Livia Troy, and David Urban all back with us. It's unbelievable where we are.
1: Oh, and it's also what I was struck by was how close it came to not happening. There were moments there where Nancy Pelosi and uh, Sandy Hoyer and Chuck Schumer don't think it's going to happen that day. What's the... Uh,
2: I mean, oh, it's the vote. The vote. They don't
1: think the certification is going to happen where she says, we're being told we won't be able to get back in there for maybe weeks. There's so much damage and they think it's not going to happen. And then yeah. there's the moment that we were talking about before. So let's just yeah. it up where Mike Vice, Pence Pence, oh. really, where Vice President Pence calls them and gives them what they describe as incredibly good news. So here's that moment. Madam Speaker, I'm at the Capitol building. I'm literally standing with uh,
9: the, the U.S. Capitol Police. He just informed me their best information is that they believe that the House and the Senate will be able uh, to read the meeting in roughly an hour. Uh,
3: Good news.
1: And what a, com- a what a moment. Yeah. What a yeah. relief. Like Mike Pence. I mean, it is. Yeah. Round of applause yeah. for Mike Pence. I mean,
2: but, but, but let's talk, about, though, let's talk yeah. about why that was so important for yeah. them to do that. Because before she's walking and she's saying at one point, Nancy Pelosi is saying, you know, if we don't get this done, I'm paraphrasing her. Okay. If we don't get this done, it will be we will have failed. It will have been a complete victory for them. And in that moment, just getting it there. And remember, you know, Polo- um, Pence refused to leave the Capitol. Yeah. They wanted this image. And I think on behalf of the United States, because the world the world by now was watching. Yeah. That they had to stay there and get the job done. And in fact... um, He knew that.
6: There's another clip uh, earlier where she says, I, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but we need to have a show of strength. We need to show the, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but the continuity of government. And this gets back to the point we were yes. talking about a little bit earlier. This idea that um, America, things happened in America that we expect to happen. With, like Chuck Schumer said, third world countries using the term that he used. If we saw this happen anywhere else in the world, all of our newspapers, all of our television networks would have been blasting them for that kind of conduct. But it happened in the United States. The peaceful trend. Transition of power,
4: right, is the hallmark of our nation, right, on on this day. But David, but
1: but from a Republican point of view, I'm curious about this. When you see that Vice President Pence stayed there because he knew it had to be done. When you there was a moment also in a different part of the um, documentary footage where they say Mitch wants this done today. So Mitch McConnell knows the importance of it being done. All of the leaders that we hear know the importance of being it done, getting done. And then to see the evolution, if that's what you want to call it, of where Kevin McCarthy is now. He doesn't comply with the subpoena for January 6th. He now seems to have amnesia about some parts of that night. How do you explain that?
4: Look, I mean, I I think, you know, separating the, the committee, right, from what happened actually, right? The committee, I think, is a very partisan the, 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 how else do you want
1: to get to the bottom of it without uh, uh,
4: uh, a committee? I understand, Allison. Listen, they could, have had, they could have done a lot of different ways. I think the committee should have been, it should have been like a 9-11 commission where there's, it's bipartisan. There's a lot of different... Well, but
7: they had that chance, David. They had the chance to listen, do it bipartisan. L- listen, they were trying I, for that. They
4: did. I sat here through the Mueller investigation and two impeachments. And so, you know, the problem is when you cry wolf so many times and the wolf shows up like it did on January 6th, Americans don't pay okay, attention to let me, like, let, me, let, the let, me the tra-
6: let me make a counterpoint to that, yeah, though, right? Sure. If I commit an act of arson uh, today, robbery next week, theft and larceny the week after that, you can't say that, well, you know there's four different investigations and they don't all make sense and they all sort of blur together. Each of them no. independently is a serious event. Yeah, but and the Mueller investigation... What's for I guess? It's a exactly favor fe- right. guess. That's that's exactly right. Right. Yes, it is that's that's exactly right. right. The Steele
4: Huns- dossier didn't exist. It didn't well, exist. It's, what it's, I, it's there a There was fe- a lot more
2: about the Mueller no, report uh, than the Steele dossier. It was dossier. built
4: on the Steele... It was built on a lot of things. Wait, this sounds
2: like deflection to me. It's not deflection. No, I'm saying, listen... David. I'm saying January 6th is a serious, serious episode, right? Yes, but the Mueller report... This is why I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to compartmentalize and I'm not trying to make it seem like there aren't moments to have actual valid points yeah. to, uh, to talk about the criticism. But what you saw on January 6th is a very different matter than the Mueller probe. Absolutely. In the, in the That's my point. That's conflict, my point, too. But you're not making that point. Instead my my you're point that is that January 6th similar. is
4: such a serious date. And if we didn't have these preceding... Yeah. sham political impeachment, uh, And that's why you, you, Kevin McCarthy you, you,
1: has amnesia
4: about it? I, I think that's why he didn't want to participate in this. He saw it just as another extension of politics. That's what I, that's what I think. You know what? Let me say something else. I, don't I feel know like that.
6: the three of us have all worked for elected officials before. And getting back to this question of the human moment between politicians, right? There is a lot of theater and artifice when politicians go out there and put on a show and an act. And I think because Kevin McCarthy was frightened of his base and how they would have revolted on him, that, that's what, what led to the change of heart. I mean I think but you know but when the doors are closed, I think those private conversations yeah, we've I, I, all been pri- I, privy to them. Again, uh, again, yeah, if, if you if we don't think that the doors. January
4: 6th, this, this this investigation, this this particular thing we're watching, is is political and partisan, I don't think that you're 50% of America. But I, you agree know, oh wait
2: here's here's a woman from the Rose Garden for a second. I mean mm-hmm. talk about the idea of how the politics come to play. Watch this and tell me what you think.
9: This was a fraudulent election, but we can't Play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special.
3: So we shouldn't let him off the hook, Nancy. We issued a statement saying he's got to make a statement. He comes up with this BS. Insurrection. Oh, yeah. That's a crime,
5: and who's and, uh, guilty of it?
1: We love
4: you. You're yeah. very special. Yeah. Well,
2: why, why is this those the people, Mueller? Those why is my? Why did, did that remind? But my point. Why did this remind you to bring up the Mueller probe? No, because
4: we're talk, We talked yeah. about. Allison said. Why do you think McCarthy didn't didn't comply with this? With the, you know and participate with this? Because McCarthy and a lot of Republicans see this as another political. Oh uh, well, well, wait you know, a second. A a a a a a Not no, this. Not this. These people. Let's be clear. The people who did that. What you just saw are criminals, and they should be prosecuted. And they're going to be prosecuted. They should go to jail. Right. Full stop. You've been right. consistent you know about that, too. 100%. Can I just say something, yeah.
7: though, about that from a national security standpoint when I'm sitting here listening to this? That actually gives me grave concern going forward with having Republicans in office and leadership if that's how they view what's basically a domestic terrorism, terrorism attack on our soil. And they're not going to investigate it because it's a political Game show and sham, and it's partisan or whatever. Well, that really worries me about the future. Let me and add, to that. Let me try- add to that because
6: when we talk about this as partisan, it's like the line from Animal Farm: "All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others." Well, some Republicans are equal, but some are more Republicans than others. Because literally, this is a bipartisan committee. Now, whether, but David, whether uh, Elliot, we I, like, I hear you. whether we like that Liz, or Republicans like that Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger don't play the party line on this issue. They are Republicans, and this idea. That in order to be That's a Republican, right. one ought to be fully locked up with Donald Trump. It's you know, toxic. Look, I, I'm I not a politics that. person, but it's like I think it's toxic to, to the to the party yeah, and, and, and to that. the American
10: political the system. Last word, and,
4: so Look, there was some dispute even with Trump, right? Trump was saying like he he got mad at McCarthy for not putting more Republicans on the committee, right? He wanted more people on there to participate and have a defense, right? And I think it would have been america would have been better served if there was a robust contingent of republicans on this panel who could have cross-examined had their stay had their day and then maybe mccarthy would have participated maybe more fully. i mean
1: they made their choice but in any event it trump is trump might have his day if he comes to the listen,
4: don't listen he may show up he could oh. don't don't underestimate this guy <laughs> he God may it. show up
1: okay that's that's very, <laughs> and on that note that's very interesting so how did the committee decide to subpoena donald trump mm. and how will they enforce it congressman adam Schiff is here live with us
2: After all this, there are big questions about what's going to come next after the January 6th committee has voted to subpoena the former president of the United States. But we learned a whole lot today from the brand new evidence that the committee uncovered and told the American people today. Congressman Adam Schiff laying out some of the very damning details.
11: Days before January 6th, the president's senior advisors at the Department of Justice and FBI, for example received an intelligence summary that included material indicating that certain people traveling to Washington were making plans to attack the Capitol. This summary noted online calls to occupy federal buildings, rhetoric about invading the Capitol building.
9: Norquist says during one of these calls, the greatest threat is a direct assault on the Capitol.
11: Their plan is to literally kill people, Our lawmakers in Congress can leave one of two ways. One, in a body bag. Two, after rightfully certifying Trump the winner.
2: Congressman Adam Schiff joins us now. Congressman, I have to say, when I was watching this and seeing this unfold and seeing the text messages, the emails, the fact that there was advance notice from the Secret Service, I couldn't believe that this was known and wasn't, A, prevented, but, B, that they wanted to bring the president of the United States at some point over to this area. What are the next steps now that we've got this subpoena voted on? Are you going to try to get more people, aside from the former president, to talk about this?
11: Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is really shocking when you see in vivid detail the information the Secret Service had, uh, not only generally about the violence intended uh, and targeted at the Capitol, but also at their own protectees, and most particularly the Vice President of the United States, uh, and that they would even entertain uh, or or allow the President to entertain for hours the idea that he was going to go to the Capitol with this armed mob uh, is really uh, very startling. Uh, Yes, we intend to bring people back in from the Secret Service, Uh, you know, some who may have testified in ways that we don't find credible now that we have obtained this documentary evidence. Uh, but other witnesses potentially uh, that we haven't heard from as well. Uh, So we intend to follow up in that way. Uh, And, of course, uh, you know, the big witness we want to hear from is the former president himself.
1: Yes, of course. And I do want to get to that. Uh, Congressman Allison is here with Laura as well. Um, But I I just want to ask you one more thing about the Secret Service. What did they do about those threats? I mean, since you presented this evidence that they knew they had a heads up, They knew that there were direct, incredible threats against members of Congress 10 days or more before January 6th. The morning of, in some cases. I mean, they had, for days, they knew about this. And so why didn't they do anything? What should they have done? And did they lie? Did some Secret Service agents lie to the committee about this?
11: Well, that's a very good question. And we're trying to determine uh, whether people were candid with us uh, when they testified before uh, we're also looking into issues, which I can't go into the particulars, uh, that there may have been efforts to obstruct uh, our getting information about some of the incidents uh, that we talked about in the hearing today. Uh, so there is more to get to the bottom of. Uh, in terms of why they didn't do more uh, to try to uh, protect uh, their uh, those that they're meant to, uh, to, to safeguard and guard, it's a very good question. Uh, they had all of this information, uh, but, you know, again, I think some of the most powerful evidence uh, is the fact that the Secret Service told the president on the mall that day that people wouldn't go through the metal detectors because they were armed and they didn't want to give up their weapons. And he was okay with that. Uh, In fact, he was fine with them going to the Capitol with their weapons. Uh, He was incensed that he couldn't go with them.
2: And in fact, on that point, we remember from earlier testimony. The statement that essentially said, these, they're not here for me. So he didn't think that there was a concern about himself. But, of course, they were marching towards the Capitol, which, of course, Congresswoman Liz Cheney began the hearing today in part. Congressman talking about that today was going to focus on the state of mind of the former president. You know, you and I, both attorneys, both former prosecutors, thinking about how you get to the state of mind conversation. Obviously, the best evidence you can have of one state of mind can be from the proverbial horse's mouth. Do you think that there is a chance, now that there has been this subpoena voted on unanimously by the committee, that the former president is actually going to, A, show up, or even provide any documents?
11: Uh, Well, first of all, I think you're exactly right. Uh, Often the most powerful evidence comes from the horse's mouth. Uh, And you pointed to one of, I think, the most uh, critical pieces of evidence. That is when the president is confronted uh, with the fact these people are armed Uh, He says, uh, you know, they're not here to hurt me. Uh, And he's okay with them marching on the Capitol because he knows where their violence is directed. Uh, We also presented today, I think, other powerful evidence of the president's intent when his own top Justice Department people are going through the litany of his bogus claims of fraud and shooting them down one after another. And what is the president's response? Just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republicans. Um, But we do hope that the president will come in uh, and answer uh, for what uh, we have presented, uh, answer questions as indeed many other presidents have and former presidents. Uh, in terms of what are the odds that he will, uh, I really, I really can't say. Um, he may be too scared to be under oath, uh, too afraid to come in and testify. But uh, we would hope, of course, that he will have some sense of duty uh, as other presidents have. But, uh, but. Only time will tell.
1: Is hope your plan, though? What's what's your plan? What is your plan if he doesn't comply?
11: Well, you know, we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, We're not going to presuppose that uh, the president will be unwilling. We hope that uh, he will follow the path other presidents have. But if he doesn't, then we'll uh, decide as a committee what the next step should be.
2: Congressman, we didn't hear from some of the people that you did interview as a part of the panel since the last we heard from the January 6th committee. Steve Mnuchin, Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, will we be hearing in an additional hearing of some kind, or will that all be a part of a report that's written from the likes of Ginny Thomas and others?
11: Well, I think, you know, first of all, you know, we may do another hearing or business meeting where we talk about our findings and our recommendations uh, in terms of how we protect the country going forward. Um, But uh, I think you can also expect that our report won't be a traditional report in the sense that it won't be just a report on paper. Uh, It will be a a report, you know, sort of a living report online as well in which you will have excerpts of testimony. Uh, you have transcripts that you can peruse so a lot of the information that we weren't able to uh, elicit because we only had so many hearings and we gathered a mountain of evidence uh, you will hear either released prior to our report uh, in discrete uh, pieces uh, or you'll hear as a part of our report
1: So, so congressman was this the last hearing
11: I don't know for sure. I you know, hope that we will do a public hearing of some kind to go over, okay, these are the findings that we've made. These are our recommendations. Um, you know, we are going to be discussing uh, making uh, criminal referrals and reaching a decision on that. Uh, and I don't know whether we'll make uh, the presentation of those uh, decisions uh, in a public setting or not. Those are things that we'll have to decide as a committee.
2: Let me just ask you one final question on this issue, because we were playing some exclusive footage here today on CNN that captured some of the the behind-the-scenes, what was going on in the Capitol when the people were trying to enter, were breaking in, were committing the the awful crimes and things they were doing. I wonder what you make of, we played part of what you saw today in the hearing and you played, what was your reaction to seeing that vantage point? You obviously had your own as being somebody who was there on the scene, but what was it like for you to see the bipartisan leadership and excluding, because he was not involved, the commander-in-chief.
11: Well, this is what was so striking to me. Uh, when you had, for example, that scene where the speaker is learning that uh, that the session has been interrupted, that members are getting out their gas masks, and she is incredulous about what's happening, and she says something to the effect of, can you believe this?, um, and there they are, you know, they're trying to summon resources to help rescue those of us that are in the Capitol. Uh, they're calling the Virginia governor, they're contacting, contacting the Maryland governor about the, the, those uh, state guards and, and those guards coming in. they're talking to the, uh, the head of the police uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and the mayor. And they're doing everything they can, both the Democratic leadership, the Republican leadership, all while Donald Trump is sitting in the White House dining room watching it unfold on TV, doing nothing, doing absolutely nothing. Uh, And, you know, that contrast, everyone rushing to try to aid uh, the police who were getting beaten. Uh, Some would lose their lives. Uh, Members endangered. And there's Donald Trump just watching it. Won't lift a finger. Uh, Yeah, no, that that's something I'll never forget.
1: Congressman Adam Schiff, thank you for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So does the Secret Service need to clean house? We're going to speak with the experts who know this right after this. The Select Committee revealing today in stark detail how the Secret Service received plenty of warnings prior to January 6th about threats of violence at the Capitol that day, including online threats against then Vice President Mike Pence. Let's bring in Jonathan Wackrow. He's a former Secret Service agent. And John Miller is our CNN Chief Law Enforcement and Intelligence Analyst. Gentlemen, great to have you here. I don't understand, Jonathan, if they had um, credible threats against members of Congress and the sitting vice president, what should they have done before January 6th?
8: Well, the Secret Service manages every single day in a threat environment, right? So every single day, there are threats that are coming in to the White House, to the Secret Service, to field offices, and... Agents around the globe are assessing the means, opportunity, intent for that threat to actually materialize. But
1: those 10 days leading up to this, you don't think we're in a different category?
8: We were, and they were doing things. They were doing things, and they assessed that the the threats to uh, to that environment on January 6th at the ellipse, right? So let's take this in two phases. First is the event at the ellipse, the presidential event. Then what happened at the U.S. Capitol? They had time to prepare, identify threats, identify vulnerabilities, and then put the right control measures in place for and that event. Yet,
2: and yet we saw an insurrection and the Secret Service likely to try to bring the, F- the president of the United States into it. That's, the I think, for people hearing it, the disconnect of what went wrong, because obviously there was a failure.
8: But actually, it's, it, it wasn't a failure. And here's why, when, they, when you think about this for the Secret Service. When they had to make a decision whether or not to bring the president up to the U.S. Capitol, they did a threat assessment and realized that the likelihood and consequence was so great that violence would occur that they couldn't bring the president there. So in the first part, they felt that they controlled the environment of the ellipse. Mm-hmm. He was behind ballistic glass, he was in an armored vehicle, they had magnetometers, they controlled that environment. What they didn't control was what was going on at the Capitol, and knowing now that there is this violent crowd outside of the perimeter that was going to shift up. So Don? Uh, I mean, it's interesting because
12: usually the Secret Service, and on this day, their primary concern mm-hmm. is protecting the president. The threat wasn't really against the president right. that day. Poor, it was poor against Vice everybody president. else.
1: <laughs> they, who they were, I guess, overlooking. So, Law I mean, the, the,
12: the, the mm-hmm. key intel assessment and planning really fell to the Capitol Police and D.C. Metro, primarily the Capitol Police. And, you know, Chief uh, Steve Sund of the Capitol Police, you know, looked at the January 3rd intel assessment that said, Militia groups, white supremacists coming armed, target is Congress, and met with the leadership and said, I think we need the National Guard. And the the best he got was, talk to the National Guard and just tell them to be on standby, which means hours away. Um, if they're not mobilized and in place. So that's...
2: But talking about the coordination, though, I mean, that's my concern. So the Secret oh. Service has intel in advance of it. But
12: the Secret have- Service isn't protecting Congress and No, the that, that's
2: true. But wouldn't there have been some sort of a law enforcement or maybe even a moral obligation to say, let's coordinate and figure yeah. out what the problem is? That's the question. But
12: they did. The Secret Service is talking to the Capitol. The Capitol is talking to the Secret Service. The Secret Service and the Capitol are talking to the FBI. Everybody's seeing the same intel. The real failure here is one that I think is hard to blame on anybody because all the intel said what the bad guys were gonna do, Mm -hmm. storm the Capitol. What the intel didn't say, and I don't believe it could have because I supplied intel as deputy commissioner of intel for the NYPD to the Capitol Police about what was coming to the Capitol along with everybody else. No one could have predicted that the sitting president of the United States of America would stand on a corner just a couple of miles down from the Capitol and bring that crowd to a crescendo by saying essentially you've got to march down there and take this thing back in some in substance
2: really important point that you raise and you know up next i want you to hear what nancy pelosi said about the then president right before the moment you talk about right before that insurrection just a moment
1: So CNN has this exclusive, never-before-seen footage that shows how congressional leadership was scrambling to save the Capitol as rioters were running wild. Here's the moment that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was talking to then-Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen about the risk to human life. The concern we have about uh, personal harm, safety personal safety, is, it just
5: transcends everything. But the fact is, on any given day, they're breaking the law in many different ways.
2: I mean, that's a part when you think about how this is going to have lasting consequences. That was kind of the meat of the matter for so many people watching it in real time. The idea of what's the DOJ going to do about this? This question lingered. But a moment I really appreciated in terms of being able to see the true feelings in that moment. Not that I agree with any type of violence, but the idea here when you heard from Speaker Pelosi in this never before seen footage or we see her talking about and this very raw state of emotions, what she planned to do, if the then president went to the Capitol, I mean, you gotta see this.
10: The service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol
1: Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment he is not coming, but that could
5: change. i oh, we come, I'm gonna punch him out. This oh, is my wow, I would pay I've waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm gonna punch him out, and I'm gonna to go to jail. and I'm gonna be happy.
2: Now, why I thought that one was so poignant is not because I support her her statement, violence. but the idea She's not the violence, violence. No, yes. but it was the idea of so often. That's why documents are so important. It was the raw emotion of what you felt, the camera was there, what was really going on. And that's what me as a member of the electorate, as a viewer, wanted to know. What were you thinking? We know what we were thinking in the moment and watching in horror. It was unbelievable to see that rawness.
1: I think that this documentary footage is so valuable on so many levels, historically, as well as setting the record straight. Because you may remember, there were all sorts of right-wing hosts who tried to pivot away from Donald Trump's complete abdication of any sort of responsibility to, well, what was Nancy Pelosi doing that day? Where was she? Let me just remind everybody of the uh, chorus.
3: What did you do on January 6th, Pelosi? Did you do anything? Laughable now.
1: Now that you watch this footage, it's laughable what she was doing for those hours and what all the, you know, we've seen all the various leaders around her of Congress trying to get back in there, trying to certify the vote. But I'm so glad that this exists to yeah. tell the radio hosts of the world. What was she doing every minute? She was fighting. She was against fighting. That
2: mob somehow. She was fighting. It's unbelievable. All
1: right. Tell us what you think, yeah. please. You can tweet us at Allison Camerota and the Laura Coates. Here's what one viewer is telling us. This was heartbreaking, these videos. I think of President John Kennedy's quote, the ignorance of one voter in a democracy
2: impairs the security for all. Much more ahead. Who exactly was the committee speaking to today is a big question. And did they make their argument effectively? Stay with us. January 6th Select Committee voting to subpoena the former president for his role in the Capitol insurrection.
3: He must be accountable. He is required to answer for his actions. He's required to answer to those police officers who put their lives and bodies on the line to defend our democracy. He's required to answer to those millions of Americans who votes he wanted to throw out as part of his scheme to remain in power. So it is our obligation to seek Donald Trump's testimony.
1: And then they voted unanimously to do just that. Yep. Let's bring in Margaret Taleb, Jim Walden, and John Miller. Great to see you guys. Margaret, that was quite a finale. Yes. Where they each unanimously and by voice voted that they are going to subpoena Donald Trump.
10: For sure. It was a historic moment. It, it paves the way for the potential of that committee to make criminal referrals all the way up to the former president. Uh, Liz Cheney didn't say that's what we're going to do, but she certainly suggested that they're preparing to make certain criminal referrals. And um, it it brought under the spotlight uh, the evidence that essentially every single person in town that day who worked in Congress or the White House, except for former President Donald Trump, um, basically knew violence was going to happen and was begging him to call everybody back, to pull everybody back. That's important. I don't know what the end result is going to be. I don't know what the short-term political implications are going to be. I don't know what the 2024 implications are going to be. But we will see all of that unfold in the next few weeks.
2: Well, think about, I mean, just, you know, we think about, Jim, when, when I heard the president you know, being subpoenaed, there's a track record for this, right? I don't think the odds in Vegas are really in favor of he's going to show up. Now, there's a chance, right? He, he did complain about not having a chance to speak his mind for either of the impeachments. He complained about not having this be more of a trial-like setting, complained to McCarthy about not having his say. But just look at this timeline, if you will, everyone, about what it took to hold, say, Steve Bannon in contempt. I mean, the, it was issued on the 23rd of September. He was indicted on the November, 20, November 12th. The trial was, it happened in July. The sentencing is October. It's nearly a year of time. We're like 26 days away from the midterm elections. We're not a year away from even, you know, the new Congress being installed. When you think about the odds of the former president complying,
0: where are you? Laura, I, I look at this with two sets of eyes. One is legal and one is practical. From a legal perspective, put aside the fact that he has a duty under the yeah. law to comply— we all know that that doesn't mean anything to him. Uh, but no def- no defense lawyer would recommend him to do this. The evidence is too overwhelming. To testify? To testify. But from, from a practical perspective, and you hit on this in the last panel, be careful what you wish for, right? If you're the committee, you have to understand that Donald Trump would love the circus. He would love the theater. He would love the megaphone. And so if you're the committee, you better have a plan for... Taming this tiger mm-hmm. who's going to talk over the committee and get his points across and use it as an opportunity to motivate his base.
2: Yeah, he Yeah, he's yeah. not, not going to have a chance to do what, say, Jenny Thomas did behind closed doors. No audio recording, no video recording. I doubt he'll but want that. But why
1: not? I mean, why, why I wouldn't they give him that? Uh, the,
0: the, might, he uh, might strike it, a deal. It really is the committee's uh, yeah. decision. But my guess is he's going to make it difficult, if he's going to do it at all, right? Yes, a sensible publicly. person would listen to his lawyer or her lawyer, uh, but Donald Trump, yeah. uh, who knows?
1: You want him to have a deal, though, like that? You want I'm, him not I'm to saying, be able like, to... Like, i like, it buy- depends on it, if they really, really want the information, yeah. in the documents, or if they want to have it on the public record in front of everybody... That just depends on what their calculus is, if if they would make a deal like that. I'm not saying I want that. I want cameras everywhere, following everybody around at all times. (laughs) That's what we do. Uh, Yeah. I think we should play another very dramatic moment from what we've seen of this new documentary. This was shot by Alexandra Pelosi. This is Nancy Pelosi's daughter. She was shooting a documentary about... How there's going to be a peaceful transfer of power on January 6th. And she obviously got a lot more than she bargained for. So here's the moment where Nancy Pelosi is being ushered out of her office uh, under obviously threat to her life. Yes, and yes, yes,
7: ma'am. yes,
6: yes. We did. That yes, and we did all well, the matches. That's correct. That hey, where are they
8: count the fucking votes? to grow, oh it! We're going, meet oh, we're going to be. these people. have no stop the
5: proceedings. They will have to see in stopping the validation of the president of the United States.
1: They the they will have to totally failed. Mm. John, how chilling. Just to watch that, that has to make the uh, hair on your law enforcement neck stand up watching all of that.
12: It does. And, I mean, if you look at it from that standpoint for the protectors um, to, you know, to be able to protect these people, keep them safe, um, get them into a safe place with that incredible mob outside. But if you also look at it from the wider aperture, um, you know, after a year when police um, probably took the worst beating in terms of public image in the history of policing. At the end of the day, when it came to defend democracy, the National Guard wasn't going to be there for a long time. It turned out to be cops on the very front lines, and they paid for it.
1: Yes, and, and as Laura was pointing yeah. out, that once again, yeah. seeing that sole Capitol Police officer at the top of the stairs with the deluge of the mobsters coming towards him, and he's trying to distract yeah. and deflect them. Just incredible bravery.
2: I want to remind people, too, when you think about where we are and we we have elections. We're going to have them again. We're going to have them again and again and again if it's a republic if we can keep it, which means that you're going to have the now the need to protect not just what's happening when you're talking about the Capitol, but at individual polling stations. You've got election officials who are being threatened. There was a moment that Congresswoman Liz Cheney raised today that I think really set the tone in helping people to understand why this was a clear and present danger. Listen to what she talks about in terms of the human forces that were the only impediments to everything going wrong. Why would Americans assume that our Constitution and our institutions in our republic are invulnerable to another attack? Why would we assume that those institutions will not falter next time? A key lesson of this investigation is this. Our institutions only hold when men and women of good faith make them hold, regardless of the political cost. We have no guarantee that these men and women will be in place next time. In fact, right, Margaret, they may actually be learning a blueprint here, which is, hold on, I didn't have a Pence to convince. Maybe I don't have somebody who has a spine next time. That's the,
10: the, me- the method. There are crucial elections uh, for Secretary of State around the country, for governor around the country, for attorney general in states around the country. And everything you said falls into those buckets. I think another piece of what Congresswoman Cheney is talking about, um, the reality is that the American voters now have had months of hearings with video and testimony Mm -hmm. showing the former president's knowledge, culpability, what actions he took, what actions he didn't took. He's still the leader of the Republican Party. He still has, according to survey research, Intense support from a large chunk of the Republican base. If these panels conclude and we go into 2023 and he still emerges as the front runner for the Republican Party, that is a huge test. Well, yeah, she's not Republican, Republican
2: anymore if that happens. She's already said that. Yes, but to your point, I think that the larger
1: point is the system is not stronger. It didn't get stronger as a result of this. There is a whole raft of election liars who may, who could possibly be about to win oversight of state elections. So, secretaries of state, I mean, we know this, in Arizona, I could go on and on and on. So it's not as though after this, we battened down the hatches and made sure this could never happen again. I mean, Jim, do you worry it could be easier the next time?
0: I I think it is going to be easier the next time. Unfortunately, we have 300 election deniers on the ballots all across the country. We have a a Republican Party led by Donald Trump who is still uh, deeply popular. And, After all of this, the American public has not been swayed. There was just a report today in The New York Times that a recent poll showed that the numbers are almost identical uh, in terms of the people that believe the election was stolen and the people that believe that uh, Trump is really the the real president before these hearings started and after these hearings started. And people aren't listening. And that's the terrifying part. Right? What
2: about the law enforcement aspect? I mean, the aspect of it? You mentioned they've had quite a, a year over time. I mean, in the classical, classical months, there's been calls to get rid of the FBI, to defund it, the idea of the execution of a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago. You think about those two juxtaposed to what you're seeing in the brutal attack against law enforcement who are trying to help members of the Capitol and the, inside the employees and also members of Congress. I mean, what is this bode for the future of law enforcement?
12: Well, I mean, it's very interesting. Um, You know, I listen to, I try to spread myself out to hear all sides of this, so I listen to a lot of talk radio, and, you know, what you saw was within 48 hours of executing a lawful search warrant signed by a United States magistrate based on probable cause as laid out under oath in an affidavit, in response to that, Donald Trump took to social media and raised $2 million in two days in small donations from among those 70 million people who voted for him and a large percentage who still support him. So the, the trust factor is very broken there. I think if you're going to pull the bright side out of everything we saw today and in the other hearings, because, Allison, and everything you, you said is true, but what did we see? There are no two people on the planet Earth who are more politically polar opposite than Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence. But they pushed politics yeah. aside on that day for process. So while we're talking about all the parade of terribles that could follow with election meddling, you know, in the future in perpetuity, we did see we did see brave people who agree on nothing agree that the process must prevail.
2: That and was a yeah, comforting moment. It was, a human moment, and even wishing him well and hoping he'll be safe. Everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about here today, and we want to hear from you as well. You're a part of our discussion. What are your thoughts on the never-before-seen January 6th video footage? And anything else you want to say to Allison and me? Of course, within reason. I'm not opening Pandora's box here, people. Tweet at Allison Camerata or and the uh, Laura Coates. Good night. Oh, okay, I'll tell you what's coming up. (laughs) I guess that's
1: my cue. Are we doing a show? Okay, uh, this is actually live. So what's the view from the right and the talk radio, as John was just alluding to? We're going to talk to a talk radio host about what he's heard all day. Former President Trump trashing the January 6th committee's vote to subpoena him for testimony and documents and a Trump spokesperson slamming Democrats accusing them today of partisan theatrics. But how does his conservative base really feel about the subpoena and the hearing today? Let's bring in Mark Davis. He's a radio talk show host in Dallas. Mark, thanks so much for your time tonight. So did your listeners watch what happened today
9: and what did they tell you? oh i think it's become a bit of a habit among the conservative audience to not pay an enormous amount of attention to the day-to-day goings-on so i'm guessing that viewership was not high i watch because you know i kind of have to but the interesting thing that's happening across sort of the conservative talk radio base if you will is that there's no denying that this has probably had some effect it's not the desired effect of liz cheney and adam kinzinger and the committee uh, namely everybody suddenly going oh how wrong we've been Uh, He really is an inciter of violence. He really is an insurrectionist. Everybody knows that January 6th was terrible. The rioting was terrible. The attempt to conflate this into a broad attack on Trump, his agenda, 75 million voters, that's not going over and and that's not going to change. But when
1: you say it has had some effect, what effect?
9: I think that it it can it has to be true that months and months of this drumbeat of here's the latest wheels off crazy thing that happened uh, and, and Trump's uh, failure to come out as promptly as some of us might have liked it adds to the image of a chaotic White House and if that flashes forward to the prospect of a chaotic candidacy if he should offer himself up in 2004 it has some folks who loved every day of the Trump presidency kind of thinking about DeSantis. But as soon as I say that, there may also be a, uh, an accompanying uh, boomerang effect where a lot of people who might have grown maybe a little lukewarm about Trump see the opportunism and the maliciousness of this January 6th committee, and they say, doggone it, it makes me want to vote for him even
2: more. Yeah, you call it that. I I have a a daily radio show, and I listen to a lot of callers who talk about what you're saying on all sides of the spectrum, frankly. And I hear people saying, one, they don't want to listen to it in part. They think it's the partisan exercise you're talking about. But others say, I can't believe that people are tuning out of something so important. I wonder, in your audience, and thinking forward, the fact that they have now subpoenaed Donald Trump, does it poke the bear in a way that makes... Members you're talking about say, I want him to testify. I want him to talk. I'm sick of them talking around him. I want him to go there. Or is it say, (laughs) don't bother? What is your take?
9: that those are great those are great multiple questions let me take them in order or reverse order there's, <laughs> there's audio, no
6: audio
2: way <laughs> Whatever, <I
9: don't, laughs> randomly there's no way he's going to testify you and i and the dog that's sitting over there knows there's no way he's going to testify the talk show host in me and in you probably thinks that would be a pretty interesting uh, idea uh a, a pretty interesting day uh, d- does the indictment the nine to nothing shocker uh, vote on the indictment. Does that move the needle? It's the definition of moving the needle. Is having people change their opinion? That's a colossal no. Today is really no different than uh, any one of a hundred days gone by. The people who don't like Trump love these hearings, are fixated by them. Uh, the people who admire Trump have no use for them, view them as a partisan witch hunt, and I don't think that changes. I really don't.
1: Mark, well, how about that documentary video yeah. uh, footage that we're all watching, shot by um, Speaker Pelosi's daughter, and just seeing them all behind the scenes? I mean, again, here again. You know, Scalise, McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, McConnell, um, along with all of the leaders, the Democratic leaders. um, What did you think of that?
9: It is absolutely bone chilling to be taken inside the Capitol as all of that nightmare was unfolding. Interestingly, as if we gather 100 people and say, watch this, I think everybody as a human being will be repelled and shocked and have that. How can this happen? Kind of idea. But then some of the people are going to want to say Trump did that and and he's absolutely responsible for that. And the other half of the room is going to go, no, he's not. That was terrible. But all of this fixation on the minutia of how horrible that was either does or does not lead to a, a an attempt to smear the entire Trump legacy for it. So for some folks, that's going to work. And for others, it's not.
2: Yeah, I do wonder, Allison. thinking about that, you're talking about incremental. I do wonder, it's been a couple months since we've heard from the committee, they tend to do the big picture. Why do you think it's still viewed as incremental when you're talking about a step back? It's not quite a 10,000 foot view, but it's not quite incremental.
9: Well, it, it's it, it has been an interesting sort of death by a thousand cuts. When the committee started out again, and and I don't mean to balkanize and compartmentalize everything, but hello, welcome to America. Everybody that hated Trump's gut said, yeah, this committee is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the people who admittedly hate what happened on on January 6th, but don't blame Trump for it, uh, view it through jaundiced eyes. Uh, I think that that has only intensified, I think, and as the election draws nearer, I think there's a more intense desire on the part of Trump critics to have something, please God, something in this committee stick to him, while the rest of the people who, who are probably going to turn out and be part of the Republican wave, if that happens, mm. are, are just looking at, they're looking at the Democrat Party and saying inflation, borders, crime, and y'all are talking about climate change, gender, and January 6th. We like our chances.
2: Well, we got 26 days away to see what those chances are. Mark Davis, thank you so there much. We are. Nice talking to you. Thank you, guys. Everyone, today's January 6th hearing is expected to be the last before the midterm elections that happen next month. I, wondering, same question I asked, Mark, will Trump's subpoena or other revelations from the hearing have an impact on voters? Here's what some of you are saying out there. We have one tweet that says um, January 6th was able to happen because no one expected such behavior. When they say crime, law and order, it applies to people of color. During the George Floyd slash BLM marches, Barriers and police and others were ready, sad, true.
1: The January 6th committee making their final argument before the midterms about the riot at the Capitol. Let's bring in Bakari Sellers and Scott Jennings. Margaret Talbot is also back with us. Scott, I just want to start with you for the Republican view because one of the things that I was struck by listening today was just hearing how Senator Mitch McConnell, whom you know really well, and Vice President Pence were just as determined, if not more so, as Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, to make it happen that day. The phone calls that were going back, it was like, Mitch really wants this to happen. We have to find out how to get back into the Capitol. We have to get back there. Vice President Pence was working on it. What do you think the Republican takeaway from today is?
13: Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know where to start. Let's start with McConnell. Um, I, I've heard him say many times since that day that his first thought was, we have to go back to work tonight, continuity of government, keeping the constitutional gears turning. This is our primary responsibility to the American people. That was his first thought, and he and the rest of the leadership all worked together to make that happen. So for as terrible as January the 6th was, there is some silver lining right. here about how the system actually held because of people in both parties who made it hold together. So that's number one. Uh, number two, average Republicans looking at this today, uh, look, I think, I think all the minds are made up. I think in everyone's heart, They saw it unfold live on TV. They know exactly what happened. They know exactly who's responsible for it. And whether they're willing to say that out loud or not uh, will vary from person to person. But I, I don't believe there's a person around who watched this unfold live on television who doesn't know exactly what happened and exactly who held the system together that day.
2: There's also not a person watching today who's not exactly aware of the suit that Bakari Sellers is wearing right now <laughs> and what's happening over here. That was point. That's a big takeaway for the that night. That is your takeaway. I mean, so that, I, I, the, there's a silver line had, there was a First line. of all,
14: first of all, I had plans tonight. Okay, so I'm just saying. So I, I had things see. to do. I had uh, a gala. Mostly. I'm gala, gala dressed, okay? And so I'm just happy to be here with you it's guys. A, it's
2: a takeaway and I it's a, a good I fitted one.
14: you all in my schedule. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) What is your takeaway aside
13: from the look?
14: No, actually, I think, thank you. I think that Scott is actually correct. And I don't know if I've ever said that on national TV. You
13: haven't, and I thank you for Uh, For the
14: moment. But I I would like to give a great deal of credit to the fortitude of, of Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi showed herself to be what we all know she is, which is a badass. And whether or not you are a Democrat or Republican, black or white, from the liberal bastion of of San Francisco or from the depths of conservatism in South Carolina. I think people have a respect for the courage and fortitude that Nancy Pelosi shows. People may disagree with her politics all day long, but they will say that she is one courageous woman who you saw on that video, whether or not it was taking on a protester or Donald Trump, she showed that fortitude. And you have to give props to Mitch McConnell as well for just making sure that he was there to do his duty. The question, though, is that can you imagine Kevin McCarthy in Nancy Pelosi's shoes? And I don't think he can wear those heels the same way that she does.
1: It's funny that you say that because, Margaret, this is an aside, but one of the things I was struck by was for all of the people who say the members of the leaders of Congress are too old between Mitch McConnell and <laughs> Nancy Pelosi, that this video that we've watched from yeah. behind the scenes, with experience comes this Cool collectedness yeah. that I can't imagine anybody else pulling off for hours. They were just on the phone. We've got to make this happen. And, and, and while they were watching TV, they were saying, okay, now they're breaking in. Oh, can you believe this? They're breaking into the windows. They weren't screaming. They weren't panicking like I would have been. And I was struck Even by. Even a Slim Jim was eating. She was eating a Slim Jim <laughs> while talking. I
10: mean, they really were remarkable under duress. They knew exactly what they had to do as much as you can know what you have to do when something that's never happened before in your life <laughs> is happening. Uh, and, they, and they essentially knew exactly how to do it, and it's by talking to each other, by triangulating, by constantly being in touch. It was extraordinary to see the image of Pelosi with the phone on speaker and Mike Pence on the other line. Uh, and they were just trying to figure out how to hold it together. And the, the one thing that I couldn't stop thinking about was that that's how everybody was supposed to behave Including the president yes. of the United States, and it just drew into such stark contrast that that missing piece of the puzzle. That's why I'm
2: wondering. McCarrey's point was, you know, you 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 commend the courage, and no matter what lo- side of the aisle you're on, can both be true? Though, can you commend the courage, the tenacity, and the resolve of Speaker Pelosi in a moment like that, and not condemn the lack thereof for Donald Trump? I mean, how can both be true? Well,
14: I, I
13: they're I, not I, both true. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. look. He violated his oath of office. I mean, your oath of office as President of the United States is to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. Now, Pelosi and McConnell and the leadership were doing that that day. And I think their experience, to your point, Mark, I think their longevity and their experience collectively that day is what allowed them to be calm about it. But it also allowed them to see clearly the mission. And the mission was, we have to go back in tonight. Can you imagine imagine if they had not? And and the sun had gone down and come up and we... Then
2: or even gone off site. Then
13: the people uh, who had ransacked the Capitol would have had a foothold. Well, I don't know. We're off schedule now, Mm -hmm. and so had they not gone back in, that would have been terrible. And that was the goal: was to knock the train off the tracks just long enough to create uncertainty. But can we talk about the clear
14: contrast, which is I think what your point was, Laura, and this is an important point because when you see people like Josh Hawley, for example, who wants to be president of the United States. Ted Cruz, who wants to be president of the United States, even Tom Cotton, you see these lines of individuals. What you don't see, though, is the fortitude and the courage and the clear-eyed view that even Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi had. And what's going to happen is there are going to be primaries around this country. And I think one of the things this January 6th committee has shown us is there is a litmus test for courage and standing up for democracy. And people are going to say, if you were in that position, how would you behave and how would you react? And I think that, I think, I, I sincerely believe Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, failed that test over and over and over again.
1: But do you think that this really plays into the midterms? <sighs> Meaning like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who says January 6th is at the top of my list for why I go to polling. I mean, but democracy, but, but democracy. So yeah. So do you think that, well, Margaret, let me ask you, do you think that I, this plays I, in the midterms? There
10: is no evidence that it is at the top of the, Overwhelmingly, most voters list the uh, midterms for most voters. The research tells us is about the economy, maybe about crime uh, and about abortion rights. Um, is this a factor? Could it be a factor if it's super narrow in Pennsylvania or Nevada? Perhaps. Uh, my sense is that it's a bigger issue for the nominee. But, but, but this will but be adjudicated
13: in 24. I, think, I think you're That's exactly it. right. I think voters have clear and present problems they're dealing with today. But the commander in chief test will be uh, will, will, will be put to, to everybody. Oh, in Macari disagrees. Twenty four. Respectfully, I think both of you all are wrong. Okay. Cool. And the reason being <laughs> is because I
14: do think that in very important races throughout this country, this will play an important role, i.e., Secretary of State and Attorney General. These down ballot races. Now, this isn't a this. I don't think this affects who controls mm. the Senate and who controls the House of Representatives. But I've always argued the most important job in any state is the Attorney General. For example, the Attorney General in Georgia. That's going to be an important race. The attorney general and secretary of state in Arizona, the attorney general in Nevada. These are going to be important races where the questions that are that come from this January 6th committee are going to have to be answered in a way that satisfies people who watch this. So maybe not House and Senate. I agree. But it has ballot. huge
10: implications. I don't have a sense of whether voters will take those implications to the ballot box and split tickets on questions like secretary of mm-hmm. state and attorney general. But the implications, without a doubt. Are hugely important.
2: I mean, I bet it comes into play every time you ask somebody to tell you who won an election. That's what January sixth is about. Come November, can we talk about my tuxedo before we go that? I mean, we, we can. Can we talk uh, about uh, it? American we Liver
14: Foundation tonight, and this is a Joseph A. Banks. Oh. I wore this when I got married.
2: You did. <laughs> Same mm-hmm. one. Same one. It's very handsome. I I was paying student
14: loans. This This is is all I
2: had. It looks This is all (laughs) I had.
1: It looks (laughs) fantastic. No argument from us.
2: I can still fit into my wedding dress. No, I can't. I I don't care. I'm good with it. Thank you very much. I don't know why you all laughed at that comment. It should have not gone over that same way. Excuse you. Look, coming up next. Thank you, guys. A jury in Florida recommending life in prison without parole for the school shooter who murdered 17 people. Many of whom were students in the Parkland shooting, sparing him the death penalty. Families of the victims say they are outraged and devastated. Tell us what you think. Tweet us at Allison Camerata and at the Laura Coates. A jury in Florida recommending a life sentence without parole for the Parkland shooter Nicholas Cruz. Remember, he pleaded guilty last year to 17 counts of murder and 17 counts of attempted murder in the 2018 Valentine's Day shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. The decision outraging many members of the victim's families.
12: Today's ruling was yet another gut punch for so many of us who devastatingly lost our loved ones on that tragic Valentine's Day.
9: This jury failed our families today. He should have received the death sentence today. If
2: not now the death penalty, then when? Mm -hmm. When?
1: It's impossible not to have your heartbreak for all of these families, Mm -hmm. as it has so many times, obviously, since that horrible day. But Mm -hmm. but here's what I want to ask you uh, with your legal background. The families, of course, want justice. They wanted the death penalty. But there was this whole scroll of mitigating factors that the jury was shown about the gunman, Nicholas Cruz. And it's Extensive. I mean, everything from he had neurodevelopmental disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure. He witnessed the death of his adopted mother shortly before the crime. He had all sorts of Of disorders and impairments. He was mentally ill. He suffered food deprivation throughout his childhood. He was sexually abused by a trusted peer. Uh, Why aren't those mitigating? I mean, in other words, Don't those make
2: sense as mitigating factors? Do we put people to death who has that list of factors from their childhood? I think that's not... The question really is, just explain to the audience, first of all, what it means to have these aggravating versus mitigating factors. Essentially, it's a way of saying, look are the reasons that you should get the death penalty outweighed by why I want to spare your life. And the mitigating factors are what you're talking about, all those lists. And number one on the list for the jury to look at was he is a human being. That was the number one thing they put on that list of things. The reason it's important is because um, it only took one person on the jury to think that one of these things did not outweigh the decision to have the death penalty. It's got to be unanimous to do so. And so, yes, these are mitigating factors, but the question, and for the families, is wait a second, I can give you a list of the reasons that my daughter, my son, should live. I can give you a reason, things that maybe they've been through in their lives. Is that enough, what he went through, to put me through what I've done? And that's, I think, where the outrage comes in. But I think, Allison, as much as people talk about the death penalty as something that obviously is a part of our society, people are really more conflicted than you think. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes to the decision of a jury to say, you need to die... That's not a place anyone wants to be. And the question
1: that, that mom asked there, if if not this case, when? I yeah. mean, if, if you're not given the death penalty for killing 17 people in cold blood, I mean, ruthlessly, some of the details that came out again about oh. how he killed some of these students is obviously sickening, then then when? And I think that's a fair question. But yeah. I, I, mean, I was on the ground at 5 a.m. the next morning after this uh, Parkland shooting. I remember. Um, reporting. And every single person... Told us that there were red flags abounding about this kid. Everybody knew that he was a deeply troubled kid. He was violent with animals. There were all sorts of red flags. He, called, they
2: were calling him the, a school shooter before this happened. Oh, well, you're calling a red flag. That's why, and for a jury asked to figure out whether those red flags are enough to punish him yes. and enough to send him to the death penalty. Those red flags are apparent. I think that probably in. Now, I don't think either of us are thinking that this is some I, I'm not going to find justice for this family's families. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and decide, hey, I know what's best based on a reading of the law. But when it comes down to it, even the federal government has had a moratorium on the death penalty. Remember when the attorney general Merrick Garland was asked about the death penalty? He's infamous for having secured for the Oklahoma bomber. So he changed his mind about mm-hmm. it because all the different things that you that come out about how it is, um, you know, carried out, that plays into it.
1: Yes. And so this one had to be um, unanimous in he order did. for him to get the death penalty. And it wasn't because three jurors said no. It's hard. It's, uh, yes, it's hard. I mean, it's heartbreaking, obviously, for the families over and over again. They're going to be able to make victim impact yeah. statements about how they feel about all of this on November Because, right,
2: the jury said this, but the judge has to actually make a final call.
1: OK, so we're talking a lot about Parkland more after the break. Our panel is going to weigh in on this jury's recommendation of life without parole, but not the death penalty. Mm. We'll be right back. We're back with our panel now. Margaret of Bakari Sellers and Scott Jennings talking mm. about the Parkland uh mass shooting and what the jury decided today. So they decided for a life without parole, but not the death penalty. And so, Bakari, we were talking about this during the break. There were 41 um, mitigating factors, most of them having to deal with his mental illness, his mental illness and mental disorder. Why isn't that sort of by reason of insanity he's spared?
14: That's an interesting question. And, and let me just say this. Uh, I actually feel like the public policy issue of the death penalty is one of the more conflicting public policy issues we have. I firmly believe that Dylan Roof or the Parkland shooter, if we're going to have a death penalty, reach the threshold for being killed by the state. The problem with that, though, as we all know, is that the state is not infallible and they make the they make mistakes. And you cannot have A death penalty where people make mistakes he was mentally ill there's no question and the prosecutor in this case and the defense in this case did a good job of highlighting that and the defense said look in this country paraphrasing do we kill mentally ill broken people and the the jury resoundingly said no we do not and so i i firmly believe that I i sit here and i just try to put myself in the shoes of those parents and it's a very very difficult decision but you have to respect it However, if we're going to have a death penalty, I mean, I agree with DeSantis on this. If we're going to have a death penalty, this is somebody who we should have the death penalty for.
2: I want to be clear, though. When we're talking about mental health, um, and because there's such a stigma surrounding mental health in this country and the globe, the idea of somebody having mental health issues does not equate with doing what this person has done. One, but let's be really careful. I know you're not saying this. He did not... He is not guilty or, you know, or not guilty by reason of insanity. He did not make that particular plea. And there's a really legal notion, and Bukhari knows as well, the idea of what it would take to show that you are insane and have an insanity defense. And they tried, he pleaded guilty. He didn't He didn't push for that, whether you think it's problematic or not. But that's why it's so convoluted to the point you're making, why there's so much of a public policy and a nuance to
10: it. And I, I think, look, this is a human tragedy for every parent and person that it touched. And all uh, of us, by the way. All of us who just
1: watched it. All of us who watched it and lived through it. Like, this, this left soul. a stain on America.
10: Sandy Hook, Parkland. Uvalde. Uvalde. Um, it, in this m- moment, I don't mean to reduce everything to a political issue, but it is the confluence of, of two of the um, most potent sort of violence-related issues of the moment. And one is gun violence and mental health issues, Right. And the other is crime, which is becoming a potent issue right ahead of the election. Joe Biden has has said uh, as a candidate, has said during the campaign, has said as president that he would fight to end the death penalty at the federal level, to end the death penalty. But is that the argument you're going to take into the closing yeah. three and a half weeks before the midterm elections? And people, individuals are so conflicted about this. Even if you don't believe in the death penalty, you believe that. People who commit atrocities like this should be punished. stopped, Prevented from ever hurting anyone again. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think parents are conflicted about this. Policymakers are conflicted about this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's come all-
2: up both ways on Twitter too. I mean, we in our responses today, I want to play, look at a little bit. There's he, There's one in favor and talking about it. One person says, "Of course, the Parkland families are outraged, but that does not mean the system did not work." There's another tweet that says, "It is an outrage. The Parkland shooter was spared the death penalty when his victims." Mm-hmm got death. I mean, mm-hmm. you see, and the other person said, "I." I there's another one I'm um, talking about the conflict that you're yeah. talking about. What do you think? Uh,
13: you know, I have, uh, I'm very really conflicted on this issue like Bakari is. It's hard not to, uh, to feel just completely broken for these parents. I mean, I have four kids at home, and I get to go home to them, and, and these parents don't, and I, I can't even begin to, to comprehend what that is like for them and what's justice mm-hmm. for those people. At the same time, uh, I've sat out here, Bakari and I have on many days uh, when we've had criminal justice matters where juries have been involved, and I have argued the same thing every time. If we're going to have institutional integrity and trust in institutions, then then juries have to be respected, even when they make decisions that don't make us feel good or that didn't come out the way you thought. And this jury made a decision. It's easy to disagree with what a jury did here, but I, I do think in many of these emotional cases, institutional integrity matters. But boy... In this case, if there ever were going to be one for the death penalty, I don't know how it wouldn't be this one. Uh, We were talking in the break about the guy in Waukesha. Again, clear example to me of somebody that if there ever is gonna be one, there needs to be one. But I keep returning to this idea of a jury of American citizens put in a room to make a decision inside of an institution that is supposed to have integrity and that we're all supposed to trust.
1: Yeah, Great point. Guys, uh, thanks so much for being
13: with us tonight oh, and
2: about all yeah. of this. Thank you everyone for watching. Our coverage continues.
8: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.